Just one verse in Proverbs 10, uh, verse 28. And then we'll speak about joy for a minute and then we'll jump back into Luke. It's Proverbs 10, verse 28. Kind of was overwhelmed by this verse. Before I read it, though, I, I was we were singing this song this morning, Away in a Manger, and it seems like it's a pretty, you know, it almost seems like a, a lullaby, right? And there's a verse, though, or there's a line in the last verse of, the last line of verse 2. I love thee, Lord Jesus, look down from the sky and stay by my cradle. I don't think Martin Luther was writing this as a lullaby. I think he was acknowledging the fact that he is an infant, right? That he is in desperate need of God. He is in desperate need of the life of Christ. And stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. What comes in the morning? Joy. Joy. Proverbs ten twenty eight. The hope of the righteous brings joy. But the expectation of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. God, we know that joy is, well, the joy of the Lord is unspeakable. So how do we speak about it? We ask you, O Lord, for your divine mercy and grace this morning. We ask you to overshadow us with your wing. Like chicks under her mother. We ask you to reveal to us true joy that comes from Christ and Christ alone. And may you be glorified in the preaching of the word and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 10.28 lays a pretty thick reality on us. One that really fits the theme of what we've been talking about the last three weeks. The hope, right? Our first theme of Advent. The hope of the righteous brings joy. So I could say, the righteous who hope has joy. The righteous who look to and long for and are sure of the expectations and fulfillments of God's promise will have joy and have joy. So what, a little bit about joy this morning. Joy is a fruit. Joy is a fruit. And what do I mean by that? 
is that joy is a product of something. It's produced out of something else. You know, in the same way that an apple is a product of an apple tree or a grape is a product of a grapevine. Joy is a fruit. And so where does this joy come from? What produces, and I'm going to make a distinction, true biblical joy? What does it come out of? And then as Proverbs 10, 28 tells us, it comes out of our hope. Our joy comes out of our hope. And hope, as we remembered a few weeks back, hope is a confident expectation. Confident. A sure thing. Being absolutely positive of a future outcome is your hope. So let me ask you, in summary of hope, what is something we can be absolutely sure about? Now, the world's answer is death and taxes, right? But even in reality, those two things aren't sure. Christ might come before death. But the answer... What is the one sure thing, the one thing we could be absolutely sure of, absolutely certain of, and that's God. And that, I know that's a really easy answer, but that's the reality. The only thing you can be sure of is God. And in, in God alone. If you consider who He is, or if you consider His being, he always has been, and he always will be. Nothing else can say that but God alone. There's nothing in this world that can give you hope. There's nothing in this world can give you a confidence of the future like God. Um... John writes in his first epistle that the world and all of its desires are passing away. All of it. None of it will remain. None of it will remain. And so to, to put hope in something that is passing away is actually hopeless. Isaiah says that all flesh, flesh, you and I, is grass and all its beauty. So all, all the things that are good about it, about us and our bodies, is like the flower of the field. Well, what happens to the flower and to the grass? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of God will stand forever. I mean, these are very simple truths, but it's as if our magnificent hope, an eternal hope, 
is built on these simple realities. Everything is passing away. And everything that we try to find beauty in in this world will go away. But God, who is magnificent and beautiful and infinitely valuable, will always remain. You can hope on that. You can expect from that. So where does hope where does joy come into the picture? If joy comes from hope, what are we what are we talking about? Well, let's define it a little bit and then I'll give you I'll give you a bad example. I'll give you a fa- an example of false joy or as I might say joy of the world, not joy to the world, but joy of the world. So we can look as this we could this is kind of controversial actually. Joy is an emotion. Joy is something you feel. Now, some people don't like it, and I have a hard time saying that because our emotions aren't very um, dependable, right? Uh, so to say that a fruit of the Spirit, joy, is an emotion could be difficult. But if our emotions are redeemed and renewed by the Holy Spirit, then it's a lot easier to, to think of joy as an emotion. It is something you feel, right? Something you express when you feel it. Some other words we could use, and in some translations, instead of the word joy, sometimes you might see gladness, cheerfulness. Um, but as I said, there's a problem as we explain it this way, because all people can feel glad, right? A believer, an unbeliever. Um, all people can be cheerful. Uh, some people go and do things for the sake that they will feel glad and be cheerful, good or bad. So what's the difference between the joy of the world and the joy of the Lord? And it it goes back to the hope thing, right? It goes back to the hope thing. So here's the example of the joy of the world. Now, this is an example of a child, um, adults. I'm going to let you use your minds to apply it to your life. Because just because this is a children's example does not mean that the joy of the world only uh, exists in this example. So it's Christmas Eve, right? And little Timmy is hoping that tomorrow that shiny new toy is going to be under the tree. He's hoping so bad. He wants it. He doesn't have a confident expectation of it. But there's the possibility that that toy will be there in the morning. And he wakes up and he runs down the stairs and there it is. That shiny toy he's been hoping for. And Johnny, sorry, not Timmy. Johnny's his brother. Uh, Timmy 
plays with that toy all day long, and you should see him rejoicing. Rejoicing is the act of being joyful, right? Let's make sure we understand that. Uh, he is rejoicing and in joy and gladness and cheerfulness. And Timmy's mom is like, man, we should do this every day because this has been a great day. But then it happens. Timmy's toy breaks. And what happens to Timmy's joy? What happens to his mom's joy? The, the joy of the world ceases to exist. From moment to moment and day by day, you might have it in one hand and turn and lose it the next. When we put our hope in things that are passing away, then our joy passes away. Our gladness ends. And so what do we do? What do we do in the world? We grab it. We rejoice. We enjoy it. And it fades. So what do we do? We go to grab that other thing. Or we just try to get more of what we had. And there's no satisfaction. There's no gladness. But addiction to the world. Addiction to the world. So I just want to, as I said that, I do want to read the full the full part of what John says in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world. I'll let you turn there. We'll all read it together. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15. First John 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Let me read that again. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So let's go back to Luke 1. So what is the joy of the Lord? Where does it come from? How do we get it? What makes it better than the joy of the world? Well, we touched on it. We've, I've been touching on it this whole time, and we hit, we hit on this verse this morning, Luke 1, verse 30, 
1. There are key words in this, at the end of this verse. Okay, Mary's going to have a baby, right? That's a pretty common thing. She has other babies after Jesus. But, but the true joy of the Lord comes from something that we see in this passage. Verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. Right? That's normal to some degree. We know the situation at hand. But the point being, she will do this multiple times afterwards, right? Thank you, Shepherd. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Say, so, okay, so things are, this is looking like a different type of, of pregnancy, a different type of baby. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Okay, if we just stop there, that would be cool. But there's something about this throne that is different than any other thrones. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, here it is, there will be no end. Hope in things that last forever and things that have no end bring about joy. <clears throat> True joy. Joy of the Lord. Your toys will break. Whether it be blocks or your 1967 convertible. Um, money is just paper. You'll lose your loved ones. And you'll lose your life. And so we don't seek joy in those things. When we do, we will be dissatisfied eternally. So, how's Mary respond in her joy? Verse 46. So what I want to do real quick is to get a perspective of true joy, joy of the Lord in the first coming, the second coming, and in between. Sylvia doesn't think I could do that very quick. I saw her eyes, but I will. Joy in His first coming as we find it in Mary. Mary's song of praise, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now let's just stop there. My spirit 
I'm going to start with that, that verse 47, and we'll go back to 46. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices. Okay, that word rejoices, again, just means to be exceedingly joyful or exceedingly glad. To rejoice, to be glad, to be joyful. Uh, what makes her so joyful? In God, right? That's so simple. Yet so profound. I got so overwhelmed thinking about this line. And my spirit rejoices in God. Emmanuel, right? Who came and made himself flesh a servant, a slave in humility. God came to us. And the, you know, the, I think the, the difficult part sometimes for the preacher is I can't yell at it, yell, yell at you loud enough for long enough, and it and it get it and you and it stick. I can only just tell you or remind you, point you in the direction of showing you where true joy comes from, and it comes by what Mary can see, knowing God and who He is. And then, and then, like really believing it internally, and that's what her song is about. That's what her song is about, right? She knows God. She knows who He is, His character, and how He has acted and will act. His work. Just look, let's just run through it quickly, and you'll see this. So, what we're looking for is we read Mary's song is her understanding of God, his character, and how he is acting, what he is doing. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, number one, my Savior. My Savior. Which means she needs to be delivered. My deliverer. And not... Not from Rome, not from uh, an over-oppressive father, but I need to be delivered from my sins. I need to be saved from the wrath of God because of my sin to Him. I need a Savior, and she rejoices because God saves her from God. And his wrath and his judgment. For he has looked. For he has looked. There's his actions. He's looked on someone lowly. Verse 49. For he, for he who is mighty, she knows of God's might. And then you see the action. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Now, I'll, tell, I'll, I'll admit something here. I don't, I'm not a big fan of the phrase personal Lord and Savior because he is not yours. He's not just yours. And, and it, there are implications and complications. But in reality, while I might not like that phrase because it, it abandons you from the rest of the bride of Christ, in reality, if you do not know and believe that the shed blood of Christ was for your sin, then you're left out in the cold. You're eternally condemned. For he, or for he who is mighty has done great things for me. For me. And holy is his name. Verse 50, and we see again his character and his mercy is for those who fear him. Verse 51, we see both his character and his actions in verse 51. He has shown strength. He is strong and he is showing it. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. He is compassionate. And the rich he has sent away. He has helped. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, he is a God who keeps his promise. He is faithful, is what that last part, portion tells us. But here's where I think Mary's song is just back up at 46. She knows all these things, and some of you also know all these things, and there's a lot of people who can say these things about God. But the difference is in verse 46. She says, my soul. Who I am inside, who I am and will be forever. Because the flesh will fade away, but the soul will live forever. And she says, my soul magnifies. You know what that word means? Make great. My soul magnifies the Lord. And it's not, when you, when you take a magnifying glass, what are you doing? You're looking at something small and making it big, Right? So we can't think of it that way. We can't think of it that way because guess what? God is big. But where is he small? In, in sinful man. He is small in sinful man. And for the righteous... For those who have the Spirit, for those who are in Christ, 
smallness goes away and he is magnified. He is made great within us. And in that, and in that is true joy, is gladness. When God is the greatest thing in our lives, when he is our greatest treasure, when we view him as more valuable than anything else, then joy always comes in the morning. You know, you might be sitting here thinking, I don't have that. I don't have that joy. That sounds good. I want it. But I just don't have it. Or you might be sitting here thinking, um, can I have more? I can never have enough of this joy. It's there. It's yours. If your joy doesn't exist, then God is small to you. If your joy is fleeting, then you don't have any hope in God through Christ Jesus. Now don't get me wrong here. I want you to understand to have the joy of the Lord does not mean you'd not be sad down, depressed, does not mean that. But it means when the thought of the hope of God and Jesus Christ crosses your mind in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the depression, in the midst of the sadness, there might be a twinkling of joy to push you a little bit further out of the darkness, out of the sadness. You read, read Paul. The man was joyful in many, many sufferings and many, many trials. Turn to 1 Peter. Talk about Paul, and then I turn to Peter. But the, this this verse will help us understand a little bit more. First Peter chapter one. Now let's start in verse six. We're going to do this kind of cattywampus. First Peter verse one. I'm sorry, chapter one verse six.
Okay. First Peter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice. So we know that when he says, in this you rejoice, we realize that he's talking about the verses we just skipped. But I want you to see something before we go and read why he has, why, why, um, why this, why we can rejoice in something we haven't read yet. But I want you to see, verse 6. I know I'm starting to confuse you. And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by, vari- grieved by various trials. Okay, so you can rejoice as you are going through various trials. This is our lives. This is the Christian life. Living in suffering, persecution, trials of many kinds, enjoy. Now, just to make sure you don't think Peter's off his rocker, James says in chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So we're now talking about Jesus' brother also makes this statement. That in our lives, through various trials and, and sufferings and temptations, we can count it all joy. Why? Now we go back up to verse 3. Now, I need everyone to get out a Bible if they don't have it. If you're sitting there without a Bible... Turn to 1 Peter verse chapter 1 and look at verse 3. And I want us all to examine verses 3 to 9. I'm not going to preach on them. I want us to read them. And you determine if you have joy in these things or not. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. First Peter chapter one verse Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Think about the joy in this life in those three verses. A merciful God has caused you to see your sin, and your need of a Savior, and He has given you a heart and removed your heart of stone so that you could walk in a manner pleasing to Him. And apart from that, you are condemned 
and blind and dead in your sin and trespasses. But by his great mercy, he has caused you to be born again. In this, Peter says, you can rejoice. Not only that, but he has done this through a resurrected Jesus. One who went to the cross for you, but because the grave could not hold him, because he lived a perfect righteous life that you and I failed to do every minute of the day, the grave could not hold him and he rose from the dead. And it's by this power of his resurrection that your inheritance that you have received through him is being kept and guarded forever. And so that when you and I... We take our eyes off the hope and we lose our joy for those who are in Christ, for those who have been born again. He says you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This is by the power of God. And in this, Peter says, we rejoice regardless of what trials we go through. Now, for the sake of time, look down to verse 8. Now, this is the real test. I think if you read this and you just take it for face value, this is the real test to see if you've got this joy. Though you have not seen Him, we're talking about Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Do you love him? We love a lot of things. We say we do. But do you love Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And what do you do? You rejoice with joy. You're exceedingly joyful with joy. He cannot add it. He cannot make that any more redundant, right? For the sake of what? So the sake that you know that for those who love Christ, there is abundance and abundance and abundance of joy. And we get to live that life we get to live a joyful life in trials and sufferings and persecutions. Bring it on, right? Because we might be crying tonight, but in Christ, there's joy every morning. Every morning. But look how he describes this joy. Though you do not see him, you believe in him. And rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. You see, a, you see something so beautiful, you're just like, I don't have any words for it. I don't know what to say. This is where we should be and wind up when we consider these things, when we consider the love and mercy of God is that 
we know we need to say something, but it just, if to say a word would devalue it, to say a word would not do it justice, would not make it, would not be worthy of what it actually is. But that doesn't stop us though, right? That doesn't stop us. And so I'm going to get on to you a little bit. If it's you, and not everybody, but if it's you, you hear me. <coughs> Read the Psalms. If you're not someone who doesn't like to sing in church, you read the Psalms and you tell me how you're supposed to express your joy through singing. It's not me who's wanting you to sing. The example we see in Scripture that is that we express our joy through song and singing together in the name of Christ. And that's what the rest of this says in verse 8, and filled with glory, not like filled with God's glory, but filled with God's praise. Filled with God's praise. Now we'll close in just reading of Revelation 19. As we remember that we, we, we celebrate Advent not just for the first coming, but for the second coming. We find joy in the first coming and we will find, I guess, perfected joy. If our cup overfloweth now, I don't even know how to describe it when he comes back, right? What does that even look like? Revelation 19. Revelation 19 beginning in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Don't forget that God told Abraham that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. Okay? The multitude is that. When I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. Now, let me just tell you, that's what joy is going to sound like for eternity. It's going to sound like roaring of many waters and the peals of thunder. Crying out, hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her, the bride, to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. But I want you to understand in verse 8, I want to make clear, it was granted that she be dressed in fine linen. We are counted righteous. We are clothed in the purity of Christ. 
And as we are clothed in the purity of Christ, if we are not living a life seeking to do righteous deeds, then we are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But what rejoicing it will be when we see the bridegroom, when we see Christ Jesus our Lord as His bride, as the one whom He loves. Oh, the rejoicing that will be. Let's, let's pray.